The following is a sermon from Pastor David Salinas of Sure Foundation, a church located in Woodside, Queens, New York, the world's most diverse community. For more information and for more audio content, go to sure-foundation.org. Six months. It goes by like that. And I know because it's been more than that since I have been among you here. Six months. That is about how much time it will be taking for Jesus to go from where he is presently here in our lesson, walking with his disciples along the lovely roads of Caesarea Philippi, about 30 miles north of Galilee, lined with lush fruit trees and cascading waterfalls. In six months, those same beautiful feet of our beautiful Savior will be dusty as they walk along the dusty road that leads just outside of Jerusalem, lined with leering mobs and the wails of weeping women. Six months, and Jesus will hang on a cross. So if there was ever a perfect time, a moment in history, to get his disciples ready for that moment, the greatest moment in history for them, it was now. And so maybe, maybe as they're walking along, plucking berries along the side of the road there, Jesus interrupts their conversation. Who do people say that I am? Well, some say you're John the Baptist, and others Elijah, and still others that you're one of the prophets, the disciples chime in. But what about you? Who do you say that I am? And on behalf of his 11 brothers in the ministry, bold, brash, impulsive Peter shouts out gorgeous, clear, perfect doctrine. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and maybe... Maybe Jesus heaves this this sigh of satisfaction and a smile, and he ushers up a prayer, thank you, Father. And then he gushes over his disciples. Blessed are you, Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, because you're right. I am the Christ, and this is what it means. The Son of Man must go to Jerusalem, and he must suffer many things and be killed on a cross and on the third day be raised to life And everybody who wants to follow me must take up his cross and deny him or herself. Six months, it goes by in a flash, and one thing is utterly clear. His disciples don't get it. They they can't stomach the message of the cross. And, And I see Peter with his calloused fisherman hands putting them on the round, strong shoulders of his Savior, pulling him aside and reaming him out. Never, Lord. You are going to be crucified over my dead body. You know, Seinfeld had Yev, the soup Nazi, right? No soup for you. The Gospels have Peter, the cross Nazi. No cross for you, Jesus or for us either. We 
We're not, we're not six months away. We're three days away from another Lenten journey with our Savior to that pivotal point in human history where God intervenes to redeem the likes of you and me. And one thing is clear, that the message of the cross, so beautiful and bright to that new nature that has been breathed into us by the Holy Spirit, still is repulsive and, and unreasonable to the old nature that still lives within us. And so sometimes we too will struggle with this message. Our seminary professor, no less, wrote this. The message of the cross is quite frankly strange, even unreasonable. It asks us to look for a God in a place he cannot logically be. It summons us to trust in a God who promises things we cannot see. It asserts that we can only know who God is when we stand and look at him hanging and dying from a cross. It tells us that we cannot build a ladder to God by our own efforts. In fact, it condemns every human effort to do so. It makes the amazing assertion that human beings are truly at their worst when they are trying to be at their spiritual best. And all of that confusion can bring out of our own hearts that little cross Nazi. No cross for you, Jesus. No cross for me either. What are we to do? What is to be done for us? Two Hebrew words. Ready? Children, you can repeat this one after me. Chavod Adonai. See if you can get that one. Chavod Adonai. The glory of the Lord. In the Old Testament, in those pivotal moments of history when, when salvation was teetering on the brink, and often because of, of, of God's people's own weaknesses, God himself just said, enough's enough, and he would intervene. And he would intervene by peeling back the curtain and revealing just a tiny, tiny glimpse of his glory. And often it was revealed in this glorious fire and smoke. So you, you see this, this glowing fire pot of fire and smoke just hovering over between this split-up carcass and the one-sided covenant with Abraham. And you see fire and smoke in that bush that refuses to burn before a barefoot Moses. And you see those columns of fire and smoke as, as those are divine escorts that lead the Israelites in the desert. And right now, at this critical point in our history, a New Testament revelation of the Chavod Adonai, the glory of the Lord. Jesus comes, and he peels back the curtain for you and for me one time before we head into that valley. Hold on to this vision. Let it be your strength. Let it be your power to receive the greatest gift that has ever been given to you, the cross. And let it make you strong and unashamed to proclaim it. Open your worship folders, dear people of God, and let's have the most blessed Lent to date. After six days, says Mark, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. 
And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them. And a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. Foolishness. The cross is foolishness. To the natural mind that is born already curdled in sin like spoiled milk, and is perishing. To the rational mind, the message of the cross seems the opposite of a message of true power and true wisdom from the powerful and wise God. And so our account takes place six days after, after that moment when Peter and the disciples went from heroes to zeros in like 30 seconds flat, when they confess this beautiful thing, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, but then tell Jesus, you are going to the cross over my dead body. And you can almost imagine what is going on through their mind. You can read their minds in that one split second after Jesus announced that it was necessary to go to the cross and that moment right before they reamed him out for saying that. What? That is the absolute dumbest thing I have ever heard in my life. And it is this blindness and, and this like, almost like a film of spiritual cataracts that can, that can form over the hearts of God's people when it comes to the message of the cross so that they don't even see the glory of the gospel in the light of the face of Christ that is going to this cross. And so here, true story. A theology professor from Yale, a brilliant man, scoffs at the message of the cross when it is proclaimed from the lips of his best friend, who happened to be a pastor in inner-city Baltimore. The professor goes to visit this pastor, and he asks his friend, what, what can be done for this city that is in ruins? What can we do to revitalize it short of demolishing it? And the pastor said, well, well this is what we got to do to make this city live again. We, we have to find a way to get out there with the message of, of the life and the suffering and the death and resurrection of God's one and only Son and telling people that they have been redeemed through that cross. And the professor turns to his friend and says, Oh, come on, don't be so naive. What is the message of a cross going to do? The practical thing that it's going to do for poverty, for drugs, for the violence in the streets. Dead streets cannot come alive from a dead doctrine. And it is that blindness at times that can cover over our own eyes in those moments of heartache and of stress in our lives. When the landlord says, you know what, I just sold the building, you got to move out in 30 days. When your boss comes to you and says, I'm sorry, but your position has been cut. When the diagnosis comes back 
and it is bleak. And when you are suffering under the constant struggles of a workload that is like, you're, you can't almost feel like you're, like, get your head above water, or marriage struggles, or health struggles, the message of the cross can seem like foolishness. We can come here and sometimes, I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, sometimes I, I, I try and fight this thought coming that comes into my head, but it, it's just there. Am I giving these people just a pep talk? Be because they come here laden with all of these things, laden with all of their sins, and, and, they, and they enjoy the message that they're hearing from us. And they, and they walk out of this church feeling truly happy, but how long does it last? Is it a real lasting solution? Because then throughout the week it comes back and the struggles. And, and it almost seems like, like there they are. And I'm praying and praying and praying and they're praying and praying and praying. But nothing really practical changes. And, and we're all going through the same things that everybody else out there in the world is going through. And it just at times seems a little bit in vain? Or, or when you're going through the doldrums and the hamster wheel of life and you're just spinning and going nowhere fast? The message of the cross can seem sometimes impractical when, when I have got so much to do. I got to get this done, guys, and then I got to get that. And, oh, no, I forgot to do that. Ah. What is the message of the cross going to do for me? Can you please explain this to me for the pile of dishes and for those sick children and when I am really sad? Jesus, the wisdom of God, he sees us from the heights in which he lives. And he knows the danger. He knows the threat. He knows, he knows the precarious position of being a sinner and a saint in this fallen world. And he loves us. And he will not let us fall. And so, like going on a long run, or, or this really long walk where you just have your mind cleared, the Lord Jesus takes us up this mountain to clear our minds, to to get us thinking of nothing else but him. And so climb with him and climb with, with the disciples and with me for just a moment. And there we are going step after step, 9,000 feet, and the air turns noticeably colder and thinner up there, and we're just so tired. But it's that good tired. It's that good tired after you've been on that long run. But then there's that bad tired too, where you're just sitting there and you have to take a breather, and you have to say, I'm just so tired of the struggles. I'm so tired of the sorrows. I'm so tired of all of my sinning and my dying. And there you are, and it's pitch black, and the only thing that is lighting up the sky are these little twinkling stars. But then suddenly, in a flash, the sky is set ablaze, and the night stars just disappear underneath the brightness of something that is brighter than 10,000 suns. And there stands Jesus. And, and it's, like, it's like Superman and Clark Kent, who has taken his hands and peeled open his shirt to reveal that bright red and S underneath. 
There, Jesus comes, and for this instant, he peels away something that the Apostle Paul calls the morphe doulos, the, the, the lowly form of the servant that the Son of God took already in the womb of the Virgin. And there stands Christ, as he truly is and has been for all eternity, God from God, light from light, true God from true God. And from that moment, he cast this beam across the valley of Lent and across the valley of your own sorrows and of your own sins, of your own cross-bearing. And there he cast it right against his cross, lighting up the cross and showing us its bright, gorgeous, saving wisdom. Do you see it? Do you see the wisdom of the cross even as if you felt its power? Yes, you do. You do. Because here you sit in church, and yet at the same time spiritually atop this 9,000-foot mountain, Mount Hermon, with Jesus shining in all of his glory, and the Holy Spirit blows and blows over you and blows into you the faith that you need to hold on to what you are seeing. And here you sit, and you know that the cross, Jesus' cross and your own struggles, the those are not absolute foolishness, but absolute grace. Because there you see Jesus as he truly is, God, divine, beautiful. And there you hear the Father boom over him on that mountain, what he boomed over his son, over the waters of the Jordan. This is my son. Listen to him. And you hear that at a very critical moment with this very critical detail that is never to be missed never to be missed, that God the Father says, listen to him, after Jesus has explicitly proclaimed that the cross was necessary for him and the cross was necessary for you. You see there's wisdom because you know that in the cross of Christ, that is your forgiveness. That is your redemption. In the cross of Christ, here you sit, a sinless, deathless son and daughter of the Most High God, and here, with that glorious light of Jesus, you even see the purpose for your own crosses because you know, no, a God that loves me this much, who is br shining brighter but is going to the cross, he means only good things with whatever he lays in my life. And so you can look at your own crosses as magnets, magnets that the Lord has attached to you always to draw you irresistibly into the pull of his saving cross and that magnetic pull of your redemption and your salvation. Here you sit, and you are not ashamed. You are not embarrassed. You are not in any way ashamed of what you believe in and of what you proclaim because you know that the cross is the only thing that saves, the only power in the world that can protect you here and now and lift you up, whisk you away into the glories of paradise. You know that. Because there you, sit, there you sit with Jesus and with all of the disciples. And you see Peter, James, and John going blah, 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 babbling nonsense because they are so terrified. Lord, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters. Uh, blah, 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 blah. And there you see them in the next instant, in the fetal position, shivering in terror with their thumbs in their mouth, crying, Mama, when the glorious cloud envelops them. And you know that the only way that a human being that is a sinner that can stand in the presence of holy God is for the cleansing power, the purifying power of the cross. And you know that the only way that we can approach the Most High God now is, is for Him to come to us in the lowliness 
of the mild baritone of a weak man in a white robe and some splashes of water and some little wafers of bread and some sips of wine. And, and, and you know that, that it's all about the cross because there you see Moses, there you see Elijah talking with Jesus, and they're not talking politics, and they're not talking about who won the big game. Luke tells us they have only one thing on their conversation, on their minds, his departure from Jerusalem, the cross, the cross that is cast in front of the silhouette of an empty tomb. And you know that that is what life is all about. You know that is the only message you can take to this fallen world and make this city live again. Here you sit with the answer, the practical answer to the cross to your dishes, seriously, to your sicknesses, to all of the struggles that you have. Here goes. Ready? Watch this. You stand with Jesus, and you see him putting on his lowliness as quickly as he took it off. That verse 8, suddenly there was nobody standing around but Jesus. And he comes down that mountain, and your heart just, it hears this very silent but very striking message of the transfiguration. It hears it loud and clear. This glory, this majesty, this sublime beauty, the experience and the enjoyment of it, I gladly give it up for you to bring you into that glorious experience of that majesty of God because I love you that much. So here come your dishes, and here come your sicknesses, and here come all of the struggles and all of the sins, and you can minister to your soul why are you downcast and, and anxious, O oh my soul? Because if my God loves me this much, then he must give me everything I need. If you love me this much, Lord, then when I pray to you, you absolutely must give me either everything I pray for or something better that I could never have hoped for or imagined. To live like that is amazing. Shh, shh. Wait, did you hear that? Shh, shh. No more cross Nazis. You are ready. You are ready for Lent and for a lifetime of carrying the cross. Here you sit, and you're not just, you're not just stomaching the cross. Oh no, you're running to it and embracing it. Here you sit, and there is one thought that is running through your mind. I got to preach. I got to get out there, and I got to tell somebody about this cross. I, I want them to come right now into this church, and I want them to experience the majesty that I am experiencing as I listen to God speak to me and save me. You're ready seeing the wisdom of the cross all lit up in all of its majesty. I just have one last thing to say then. Seeing the wisdom be as wise as you have ever been. Make a commitment to say, starting Ash Wednesday, unless like I am out of town sick and you know, work is just totally, totally taking me away, 
I am not going to miss one service in Lent. I am going to come here and I am going to listen to this epic struggle of our Savior for our salvation. Say to yourself, I am going to go out and I'm not going to be ashamed. I'm going to tell somebody, you know what? The cross is my salvation and it is yours too. Can you please come with me sometime during the season of Lent to hear more? I would love you to hear more and enjoy what God has to tell you. Take all of your sorrows and all of your struggles and all of your sins and cast them, dash them, nail them to the cross and say, I refuse to be paralyzed by fear. I refuse to wallow in misery and self-pity and guilt because the cross, the cross, the cross is everything and it bids me to refuse that. Be wise like that. And I promise you something, and you can call me a monkey's uncle if it doesn't come true for you. But here we go. This light of the transfiguration that is casting this beautiful glory across the, across the valley of Lent on the cross, that light of the transfiguration will become for you the glorious light of Easter.